I'd better be getting inside, actually. My mum and, you know. It's getting a bit cold. <laughs> um. Well, good night. Night. I want for Christmas is you. Right. <laughs> Thank you. Good. Good night. podcast what is love actually i'm beth amon and i'm patrick flynn and this is the podcast where we try to understand the 2003 christmas romantic comedy love actually by taking it apart and putting it back together again yes and this episode we are joined transcontinentally i'm very excited it's jonathan howard and jesse newman hello Welcome, y'all. This is this is one of this is one of it's a very rare appearance together, which yeah. is which is oh. fun. Um, All right. Jesse, Jesse normally hears <laughs> me do things like this from my bedroom or from my desk. It's lovely to have yeah. a part of it. Good. Now you get to be a part of the spotlight yes, and talk the about the tiniest portion of love. Actually, yes. I think the most <laughs> profound, though. Actually, if we already going to think, oh. About it. yeah. Oh yeah. my god, Johnny, when we were. When I was emailing with you to do this, I remember you thanking me at one point for choosing this part of the movie. I was like, oh, good. I'm glad they like it because this is so tiny. One of the reasons we wanted you guys to talk about this section is because it's so short. Because we, have, we haven't recorded the whole show yet. We've recorded a number of episodes. And we have ended up making some statements about British life that I'm not sure are true. So we want like, to check in on them. Like, <laughs> some we, legit we've made people. a lot of bold claims based on like the four months that I lived in London in college and that Patrick knows from his Anglophile life. But so we want to start, and this is going to be kind of interesting because Johnny, obviously you're born and raised in the UK, but Jesse, we actually want to start with you because you are from the States. And we usually like to start by asking what people's personal history is with the whole movie with Love Actually. So where did you first see it and encounter it? This is funny because, um, so yeah, I first, well, I've heard of it. I, I, I'm trying to think about when I first, first heard of it, maybe in college or something. So, but I, I was, you know, actually when you reached out to us to do this, this podcast and I, and Johnny's like, Oh, would you want to do this? I thought, well, I, I would do it, but I first will actually have to watch love actually because I had never, I know I'm probably not uh, the average American on this one because I think it's like incredibly popular. And I'm also like very much it's demographic, like 30 year olds, like, you know, woman that fr- like from the U S like from the, I grew up in the Midwest. Um, so you, you were know, targeted for this I, movie yeah. and you somehow avoided it. Exactly. It was made, you know, for me and my, yeah, English dreams, I guess. But I, yeah, I don't know. Somehow it missed me. I'm not going to lie. Rom-coms, I'm not really usually oh a huge fan. Mm-hmm. So 
I, so yeah, the first time I saw this movie beginning to end was, uh, a month ago, whatever. Yeah, three weeks ago. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and then I was like, oh my gosh, what have I signed myself up for? Exactly. <laughs> um, wow. So yeah, so really, I don't know. I mean, I don't know what you'll think after we have this conversation if you've asked the right American. But um, but yeah, I mean, anyway, that was my first interaction with it. And I do really, as much as I could kind of hate on rom-coms and various things, I'm sure we'll get into all sorts of chat about it. But like, I do really, I guess the thing I was thinking when I was thinking about what we talked about today, I was like, oh, I love, I do really like, as cheesy as it is, like the opening and the ending in the airport, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, because I guess as a person who lives abroad, like I live far, my family all live in Missouri. They're all pretty much always been there for the most part, not traveled mm-hmm. too much, but they did come visit me one time and I did surprise them at the arrivals gate, the arrival oh, you know, nice. in Heathrow and they were shocked to see me. And I, so I personally feel like I'm like, okay, well that was kind of like a movie. And, uh, Johnny, what was your first experience with this movie? I think I saw the film for the first time probably in about 2006. So I didn't watch it immediately. It might have been slightly earlier, but I have, I have memories perhaps of sitting in my dorm room at university in my sort of underwear the morning after a night out watching it. It might have been a Sunday or something. Um, and it, like it's sort of a wonderfully tragic, tragic university moment where I'm maybe eating a sandwich or some gummy bears and sitting on a chair watching this at my desk. <laughs> um, I know. So, what an image to, yeah. to throw at you so early. I, it's like the boredom of college led you to this film. It's like, well, <laughs> what else should I do? I, I, I have a terrible. I mean, I completely unlike Jesse. I adore anything, which is like we debated for a long time whether it was a rom com. So, I'm not. I'm not prepared. I'm going to call it a romantic comedy for the sake mm. of this little portion. But I think it's something worth discussing. But I love rom coms full stop, and I also love um, anything which is kind of. Um, I don't know, deliberately feel good. Mary Poppins too, wonderful. Like anything like that, I have no shame. Yeah, I, I remember it having a, a, a sort of a, you know, a wonderful warming sort of impact on me. I think, um, yeah, Richard Curtis is such a, an institution in England and his films are ones that are kind of doctrine. You know, it's like, it's, like, it's almost, this is, this is, this sort of forms your core. It's like, it's you know. Like it's the canon. Yeah, yeah, it is really the film canon. I remember, you know, I do clearly remember seeing Four Weddings and a Funeral for the first time and seeing Notting Hill for the first time. Two movies I've never seen. <laughs> and, and I, Jesse, I think you're okay. <laughs> no. Yes, thank you, Beth. So, no. Johnny, yes. so, so, you and I, we're going to have a is, talk. Mom and dad are about to fight. <laughs> this, is a, this, this is a running issue through this podcast. So I'd seen, I'd seen this and I'd seen Bridget Jones Diary. Yeah. So when we started doing this podcast, um, Patrick was asking if I had any strong feelings about Love Actually or if it was like a neutral film that I enjoyed and would talk about. And I was like, yeah. And so then it turned into, well, now let's go watch every single Richard Curtis film. Um, and I did not come out like I think Patrick wanted me to, feeling lots of warmth and love. Um, I found a lot of... Uh, bad um, representation of women in film and I don't like Richard Curtis very much and so I like one of the questions I really wanted to dig in I was like I need to know like how Richard Curtis is perceived 
in the UK and like two people who've grown up with the canon, like you said, instead of just like Patrick who refuses to believe that four weddings and a funeral could be a flawed film. I, I don't think there are any flaws. <laughs> I also watched Bridget Jones's diary for the first time during lockdown because of him. Oh, there you go. <laughs> Jesse, did you feel targeted watching that movie? Because like I'm, you said you're 30, I'm 29. And I definitely like was watching that film and was like, Oh God. I, I mean, was- yeah. Kind I feel of. seen and attacked at the exact same time. <laughs> the pressure, my gosh. We, like, yeah. We did joke, you know, it's very funny because that was made 20 years ago. I think it was 1999. And like, mm-hmm. you know, the whole time we're berating uh, like a 32 year old woman who lives in zone one in London by herself, owning her flat <laughs> with <laughs> a successful job in publishing. In front of- I, yeah. I, I think she's doing quite well, actually. And that's the standard in Richard Curtis's world. You have to be paired off or else what are you doing? I mean, that's, I mean, I think that is, that is much the way with many rom-coms, but it's I, true. yeah, but I, I get your point. Yeah. The only exception I think I'll give to the Richard Curtis I've seen that we, I, I love, I know you love this. I, I, I love, I love the film about time. Hmm. Um, okay. Hmm. We, I, I still haven't watched it. It's on the docket. Like yeah, we, we might have to add that. Yeah, to a later what, episode. What, what, is it is good? That not, that's not as beloved as as it's, things like Notting Hill or Bonnie's Funeral or Bridget Jones Diary. They really are the canon with Love Actually. Now, yeah. About Time mm-hmm. is more recent, and some people mm-hmm. find it like too too farcical, mm. too too kind of fantastic in concept. I, with, I, this doesn't give very much away. You find this out the first ten minutes, but essentially oh, the main yeah. character the main character can travel back in time to relive moments of this mm-hmm. past. So he can kind of like alter the recent past, but he can't then jump back to the present or he might have like changed everything. So it's like, you can basically relive short moments in time, mm-hmm. uh, which is really fun. Um, yeah. and, um, maybe just cause I think, I think it has a Ben Fold song in it. I don't mm. know. You know, maybe that just melts my kind of cold heart. I'm not sure, <laughs> but it, it, yeah, it's, it's, a bit more, I don't know, it's not more, it's not that it's more believable or anything like that. It's actually less believable because of this fantasy element. Mm-hmm. But I somehow believe the love story more in it than something like mm-hmm. Love Actually, where the love stories, I feel like, well, I think they're a bit contrived. They're like, you know, they're, and they're really flawed in many ways. And I don't know. I, I really think Sorry. that the, the love that story that's pictured in that film, I somehow warm to mm-hmm. much better. Definitely. It's probably a good a good point since we came back around to it organically to ask you guys. This is going to be great because we usually ask our guests to summarize their segment in the movie. I think you could probably recite the entire segment of the movie if you guys want to take it. The story of uh, Jack and Judy. We were trying to work out. It, so what's interesting about the storyline is it doesn't obviously link to any of the other storylines. Um, really have to work out how people know each other. Everyone, you can sort of tell people are distant friends, but between most of the other cast members, it's like, oh, they work in the same office. Oh, they're brother and sister. Oh, they, um, you know, they appear on the same TV show, whatever. This is a couple who's, um, well, they meet because they're both, I think, porn stand-ins or stand-ins for sex scenes in films. So they go in and they um, will reenact in a very kind of routine way, um, the poses and movements that are required of the actors in sex scenes in films before the actors themselves go and do them. So for the sake of lighting or for the sake of just seeing how movement is. So they'll, they'll want to see how kind of breasts swing and certain lights and they're the people who go and 
and go and, and create that that moment for them before it's done on camera by the people who are the actual actors. Um, these are two people who do this, I think, professionally. Um, and the implication, I think, is that most of the time people do this, it's a very stale relationship. It sort of feels awkward and they don't talk. And actually, these two people who do this job are actually very ordinary. You know, mm -hmm. they're kind of just just John and just Judy. Um, or he says, I'm no, not, I'm not John and she's just she's Judy. She's just Judy. Sorry, the woman's yeah. definitely just Judy. Yeah, but, right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, but the... Well, I, that, no, but I think the point is, doesn't she say, yeah. I'm just John? And she, he yeah. says, no, I'm not John. And she goes, oh, yeah, She's Jack, yeah. and she says, she's John. Yeah. He volunteers there. And um, so the, um, yeah, they're, they're sort of talking about everything from the weather to traffic, um, driving to work. And they form a connection, but they have, the, the, their, their route to romance is like beautifully British and awkward. Um, there's lots That's of... That's the key thing. I think the key word for them is awkward. There's nothing direct. It's all <laughs> subtle and hints. And um, <laughs> eventually, eventually they, they end up engaged at the end of the film, uh, mm -hmm. even though they're only doing each other for five weeks, which is mad given how they meet. Yes. Um, yeah. And, and uh, somehow they're also at the Christmas play at the end. So yeah, we right. believe that their, their only two connections are, and I, ha I had to look at Wikipedia for the second because I didn't actually know it was one, but <laughs> the, first one, the first one is that the, one of the production assistants on the film where they are the porn mm -hmm. stand-ins is the best friend of another character mm -hmm. who's got a love story um, with two girls from Wisconsin who Jesse does not find representative of Americans. <laughs> Good, we were gonna, I needed uh, to ask that uh, as well because uh, I but, feel like I, my theory is that they're actually witches. Um, <laughs> I needed to make sure that British people do not think that this is what American women are like, because we're not. But you are wearing your Stetson secretly, aren't you? Just on your knee, right? You never know. Yeah, you, you, never know. <laughs> you never know. Um, but so he's, he's in the production systems in their storyline, another storyline. And then we believe that the brother, John, Jack's brother, mm. Mm -hmm. is um, the father of a child in the big Christmas so production. His nephew, his yeah. nephew is, is on stage um, in, the kids. in the kids' Christmas yeah. pageant. Anyway, they, they, Fingers they, they meet. that he is the Spider-Man. Fingers crossed. This, yeah, the spider, uh, the spider King, right? One of the kings yeah, of the spider. Exactly, yeah, yeah. I think I think that's basically it. Um, mm -hmm. uh, that yes. honestly was like the longest amount of words I think anyone's used to describe the plot that takes up twelve minutes of the film. So I'm very yeah. impressed. It is it is a very sweet story. It is. A, I was really I was shocked how short it was. Like I must say, but I was really relieved, and I don't know if Beth, you felt this way too, because we've seen this movie a lot, and I was relieved how sweet, genuine. And, and actually, the, I wrote down in my notes, hey, consent. Like a moment of genuine consent. Yeah. yeah. It was where he asked if it's okay if he touches her. It's a lot, you know, very, it felt very sweet. And I think it's the story that's aged the best in a lot of ways over the last yeah. almost 20 years. It's just a very ordinary, sweet love story. Like, mm -hmm. does it move a little quickly? Yes. Does it start in an odd way? Definitely. But like, they genuinely like talking with each other and they genuinely enjoy being around each other. And like, I think that's very sweet. I agree. I, it, I do find it's probably one of the most unsatisfying ones because there are no, there are no kind of um, 
you know, dips in the road. What's the word? It bends There's the no road. conflict. There's no conflict. It's, at all. Yeah, it's yeah. quite linear while the other ones have. You have that so many other places that I do appreciate like the breadth that their storyline gives because like I don't need one of them to be cheating on the other one with the secretary. I don't need them right. to be hiding them to their be relationship from the entire country of England. Yeah. Like, <laughs> but there's also, there's something quite nice about it. Like, so I, I'm going to go a bit like macro on this for a second. And mm. w- w- I, we laugh quite a lot when we're watching the Great British Bake Off, which is, I think, called the Great British Baking Show in the States. Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah, but if you know, you can call yeah, it you know, Great you British know. Bake Off, too. Yeah, so we'll, we'll call it, yeah, exactly. But, you know, we'll call it, we'll call it the Bake Off. Yeah. And the, the joy of the Great British Bake Off is it's like, it's all these, like, it's this catalogue of, like, very, very minor potential disasters, but all of which are resolved. Oh, it might not rise. Oh, it might not rise. Oh, it rises. Do you know what I mean? And it's like, I think that this is, Whereas if you watch like Cake Wars, it's like, you know, like if this, you've got to make a cake that's nine meters tall and if it collapses, you're going to prison for 10 years. You know what I mean? It's like, it's super high. And it's all like, and it's all very emotionally charged because, you know, I got into, I got into baking because my nine grandmas all died in fires. Right, yeah. And so there's, there's a wonderful, and it's not a criticism per se, but it's like the, the, the joy of this one is it's like the only tension in the storyline is like, will, will they kiss? Will they kiss? Oh, they kiss. It's done. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like 20 seconds where it's like, he, he is very obviously like, I'd like to kiss you. I'd like to kiss you. I'd like to kiss you. I'm not going to kiss you. And she's like, no, 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 no. Yeah. He's like, no, you're going to kiss me, John Watson. <laughs> and then you just got to say as well. Did you just go right, yeah, of course. Cause she's in Gavin and Stacey. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but the, what's, what you just said, what you just said, Johnny, reminded me of something. I was talking with someone recently about how much we love British mystery series. We refer to them as, yeah. as cozy mysteries, you know, because they're like this, you know, they're, it's a very closed circuit where you have a murder, but there's an order around it and everything. And at the end of the murder, everyone's all dressed in their nice clothing, like like orders restored to this very cozy environment. And it's a very American thing, I think, to have a show like Cake Wars or like my, my like least favorite cooking show of all time, Chopped. Where you, where get, you the, get a basket, basket and it's things. like, right. here is an avocado, an octopus, like a jackfruit, a full ham. Right. It's the worst. It's the absolute worst. But the odds are so stacked against you, it all has to be conflict and dramatic and conflict laden. We're the ones who make dark and gritty reboots. That's our That's our thing. <laughs> and there is this sort of version of light entertainment that you get well, what we would get here on PBS most of the time where it is there is conflict there is story but it's more about the mood of the thing and the attitude of what's going mm-hmm. on and the general feeling it invokes it's meant to be entertaining it's meant to be distracting and that's absolutely what this plot line in this movie is to me it is just a sweet middle of the road love story in the middle of all these other kind of crazy stories. Mm-hmm. And it really grounds the movie in a lot of ways. I, yeah, I, I don't mind the, the, the plot line. I think it's funny. It really, it like to me depicts pretty, like fairly well, like kind of the, uh, I don't know what I noticed here. Like a lot of, you can correct me if I'm wrong. No, I'm speak on behalf of the English. <laughs> right. um, like, but they don't, there's like, like you're saying, they don't really, there's like a lot left unsaid. And then, um, you know, like, and that, that's, that's just like really cultural. There's just a lot, it's like all of the things, you know, it, there's a lot being said without very much being said at all. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I think when you watch something like this storyline, even just how they kind of 
act with each other or um, I don't know where, yeah, just what we like, just the extreme awkwardness of it. It's actually, you know, I think you see that come out in other places in the film too, but in other, you know, like, I don't know, British entertainment generally is it's like all about kind of the subtlety and the underlying, you know, what's not being, kind of what's being applied across the board. While in, you know, I don't know, American television, it's much more just like in your face at times or much more like heightened, but like blatantly so with like extreme background music and like a man, I don't know, there's like other, can't think of other Food Network shows right now, but the man that's like a la cuisine or something like that. I can't remember what that one is. Um, but these things wouldn't, everyone would think that is just too over the top here. And they'd be like, mm-hmm. I don't know. I like Johnny what you said about the stakes are like going to prison like that. That is what it feels like in these shows sometimes. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm going to talk about. I mean, I I don't watch the Kardashians particularly, but I've seen a couple of episodes. You know, you get like these mega heightened dramas about like someone leaving half a bowl of salad on the kitchen counter. You know <laughs> what I mean? It's like I've told Courtney about this so many times, and then there's this <laughs> you, you sort of create this massive, massive drama, and yet. I go back to the Bake Off, where like you actually don't get enough information. Like there's are twelve contestants. It's and, not like, enough. It's not said. And it's like there'll just be like Derek lives in Wolverhampton with his two dogs and likes fishing on a Saturday, and that's all you know <laughs> for like twelve years. It's yeah. not like there's none of this. Like I came to baking because I did it with my grandmother or with my, my mother growing up, and that was a way of me escaping because I was bullied as a child. Nothing. It's like yeah, I've got dogs. That's that's what you're getting. Like. Yeah. Um, that's your personality trait like this has informed you you have dogs <laughs> you, have, you yeah. have dogs yeah and just like yeah the kind of dryness of it, it but like i don't know it, it like the the humor is so like it, it's just so subtle and dry sometimes you know th- there is humor in that like and Derek fishes and it's like yeah like i laugh after that sentence even though it's not funny at all because it, the way it's said and the way it's just like laid down is perfect Mm-hmm. Um, and it doesn't need to be like, yeah, I also, you know, go fishing because yeah, I had, there's some tragic thing that led me to this hobby or whatever. Mm-hmm. Memory of American, of American TV, the first time I came, um, was one that there were so many commercial breaks. Mm-hmm. Like, so in a, in, a, in a TV show of an hour in the UK, if it wasn't on the BBC, so it was, it had to be it was funded by advertising and so that there were commercial breaks because the BBC has no commercials apart from trailers for new shows. So if you're watching something for, if it's a three hour film, it's three hours and there are no commercial breaks. Um, And if you're watching a show on um, say ITV, which is another channel or channel four, you might have three commercial breaks, max three minutes over the course of an hour. Mm. And I remember, I think watching American Idol or something and being like, we literally had a commercial break four minutes ago. <laughs> one song, we're back to another one, another break for like mm-hmm. five minutes. And, I, and, and so that was something that really, really threw me. Um, but I, I also hadn't really appreciated the, the difference between, as you say, the kind of the very twee British, um, I, I'm going to call them for one, they're sort of crime, but they're, mm-hmm. they're sort of like the tweeest, the tweeest crime thrillers you can imagine. But we have so many of them. Yeah. If you think Midsummer Murders or Inspector Morse or Lewis or Poirot or Markle, there are, there are so many of them. And they all, yeah, they all have this um, um, uh, angle, which is just that this is a kind of a view of, of rural or at least kind of provincial British life. And there happens to have been a crime. 
rather than like, you know, Magnum PI, where it's like, <laughs> you go in at like Hawaii 5.0 and immediately there's a chase down the highway and you're like, <laughs> mm -hmm. it's, a, it's, it's a very, very different proposition. Um, and I think, yeah, there's, there's something where we, we, we like things not to be maybe so overt. Mm -hmm. um, and we're also probably a bit more squeamish, so we don't want anything that's too aggressive or in your face. Yeah. I'm always amazed here, like um, even things like, I, it's almost worn off, like I'm almost not as aware of it. But, you know, even the way like brands, like where you go to the store and you look at like, I don't know, a, 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 like orange juice or something. It's like the orange juice container is talking to you like, oh, I'm so kind. Like, I'm going to take good care of you when you drink me and your vitamin C, it's really going to serve you well. <laughs> if you have any issue, you just reach out to us. You know, you're like, orange juice. Like, um, it's really amazing to me and like the voice of like that I think you know this kind of like really um yeah this like friendly warm kind of thing um that sort of perspective is I think yeah just like how how they like how the communication kind of at, at first kind of in first instance I guess is kind of preferred I suppose I would be remiss though if I didn't Johnny you just reminded me that when British crime goes gritty, it goes unbelievably gritty because like Luther <laughs> is one of the most dark, most uncomfortable shows I've ever watched in my entire life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think we don't want, we don't want anything, I think, oh God, I'm speaking in such a general way. I, I suppose you would hopefully be speaking in a very general way about British people too. Yes, so absolutely. I, I oh, sure. We have made some wild generalizations on the show, so go right yeah. ahead. All British people do that. Piled some more on. So <laughs> my my feeling is that there's we joke about this all the time with words. We were talking about this only earlier today, where like you know we um, we were talking about like an anorak or a macintosh, and Bessie was like you know a few weeks ago like what are they? I was like oh it's a raincoat. Oh sure, we'll just call it a raincoat <laughs> or like a rain jacket. And there are so many there are, there are so many examples just in in vocabulary where like. The British will say something which is, you know, like, please alight here from the tube. It's like, just please get yeah, off the train. Like, <laughs> and yet, and yet, I think there's a there's there's a sort of the, the, the like, need to be overt is perhaps less strong. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, and I, I certainly noticed that in in say if I think about American rom coms versus say Richard Curtis ones, where in American ones it's a bit like oh, here's the problem, we have the dip, and then we have the resolution, and it ends exactly as you think it's going to, right. and it's all very much out there on the table. Mm. Um, even, that, even like this in comparison to like the holiday. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's kind of, you know, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I don't want to compare because I'm definitely not a holiday expert, but. Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm a holiday expert too. <laughs> I love the holiday as well, but I think the holiday. It, no, yeah, but it's almost, I mean, it's half set in England. It's about the most. Right. It's so come up a few American times country. on the on this show. We keep talking about the holiday, and it just keeps coming up over and over again. It's one that it, I guess there's very few like not very few British Christmas movies. There aren't, but it's this sort of like I guess it's only half British, really. But like British Christmas movies that have made it to American, like to the American Christmas. Canon. And they also came out around the same time, generally. So, which I think is one of the reasons. Yeah, it's, it's the holiday. I always thought the holiday was American and just had two. Yeah, it two is. Oh, it is. It is. It is an anti-British yeah. joint. Yeah. I really made a very loose version of British there. There are two British people in it. Therefore, it is British. Yeah. Well, there are only four main characters. So, I mean, I think it's 50 terrible. 50 here. Right. 
But it is what's so funny about like, it is the most, like two of the most American actors in the world and two of the most British actors in the world. We have Jude Law and Kate Winslet on one yeah. side and Cameron Diaz and Jack Black on the other. <laughs> and, like, it's like the more I think about the pairings, the less convinced I am that like the last version of me that watched that film agreed with these things. <laughs> On what grounds? I want to just just die over the I feel like I've watched these um, rom coms like once or twice, and then I'm like, ah, yes, I have decided that I like that movie, and then I never watch it again for like years. And now, as like because we've done so much of a deep dive into this, I'm now questioning everything I know about every like holiday show, every rom com I ever watched. I'm like, was I just? Did I just accept that as like the 15 year old that saw that movie and was like, oh yeah, this is an absolute delight. Or did I actually like think about the logistics of these things and the realities? Beth and I both kind of like were in our notes commenting on how this section wasn't particularly British, but I think you guys have opened my eyes to how this might be the most British section of the entire movie, save Hugh Grant as the as the prime minister. Johnny's eyes just got so wide. Yeah, I I, I think it is extraordinarily British. I think that there there, there are a few. Um, I mean, I think to be honest, I think the whole thing is incredibly British. But I mm-hmm. think maybe this one. I I do think that the um, the key central uh, storyline with. She would tell Edgio Four and Kira Knightley, and I can't remember the other actor's name. Rick from, from The Walking Dead, Dead is how we refer to him. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Perfect. You know, like I think that one's also incredibly British. It's like a really key issue, which we're now just agreeing to brush under the carpet forever. Do you know what I mean? It's like, mm. I, do you, like that's. I think that, that there's. <laughs> it's beyond awkwardness. Yes, exactly. I think that if you if this were if this had been an American film, there would have been a fight, and it all would have come out in the open, and someone would have left. And I do agree. The friendship that's would never. That's such have... a good point. Mm, that's a very yeah, good point. Because I, I, when I watched it, I was like, when, when that storyline sort of starts to play out, and you, I'm like, oh my god! And I expect there to be conflict and resolution. Mm. Yeah, they're just it, that's just not really present in, in that. Like you don't really get like what what comes of this. Like mm. yeah. Mm. And I, yeah, I'm thinking about this all through a whole new lens. Yeah, I know. It, it really, you guys really have like it's opened up this whole new way of thinking about how the reservedness of some of the of these things. Yeah, like like Laura Linney, Laura Linney, and her storyline with like the guy who she's loved yeah. for two years. It's like, well, why didn't she say anything, or why didn't he say anything? And it's like, oh, because they're British and they didn't want to. <laughs> Let's sweep the awkward <laughs> moment under. Yeah. I, I think another really good um, British one is the Emma Thompson Adam Rickman mm-hmm. one because because again it's like oh this awkward thing has happened it's not a full blown affair because they we don't know have they is yeah. anything else happening no he's just kind of falling victim to this temptress in his office but like the wife is unhappy but they're like working through it maybe slowly you don't know if it's going somewhere again it's just like it's sort of left in limbo and I think that that's a Again, I think in the American version of the film, there would have been a big argument. Someone would have left. And at the end, there might have been a big kiss to make up or they'd have separated and the secretary would have moved in or something. You know, like, there, there's there's something wonderfully kind of, like, unresolved about yeah. She would have had a huge ulterior motive to, like, take over this nonprofit they run or something. Yeah. One of our big questions was about Colin, which you kind of answered already, mm-hmm. about how not all... Well, actually... The, the direct question, though, uh, the central theme in that Colin Tony segment, his theory being that if he goes to America, 
all the women love men with British accents. And while I think that is true, I'm wondering how, is that a perception, do you think, Johnny, of uh, that, uh, that American women typically like British men and are easier than English women? I, I, I do. This is, I mean, look, <laughs> I'm going to say something which is like deeply, like it's going to be scarring to you, Ben. I'm so sorry. But I, 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 so the longest I've ever lived in New York was a, a month. So I've lived there, but I've been, I was there for a month and then and I did some dating and I do think it's very interesting. Like whenever you put yourself in a place where you are not, um, uh, the, the kind of the common thing where you, where you are a rare specimen already, I think you have mm. additional value, but I do think, you know, and particularly in a world where like Downton Abbey exists uh, and Harry Potter exists, I think that there is an extraordinary um, fascination with England and Britishness. In, and, and I think that comes through particularly in accents. I think that people, like on first meeting, you can't really tell if someone looks British, but as soon as we start talking, I think people find a British accent so mm -hmm. charming, for want of a better word. I think it's not, it's not like cute or sexy. It's like, it's just, it's charming. Um, I, yeah, I definitely notice that, like it, it, in, in a really positive way, it gets commented on. I feel like the way you just presented that is a comment on how British uh, people are perceived by Americans and not how Americans are perceived by British right. people. So I feel like the, the conversation with Colin is this idea of like British women are stuffy and unlike accepting of my charms, whatever they and are, even though he's like the right, the least yeah, charming it's... human in this show, um, and that like Amer he kind of presents it in a way that makes me think like he believes like American women's standards are lower, and that you will be. I mean, he makes a comment that's like, oh, like in a world where Prince Harry <laughs> exists, like I'm a god, and this is gonna work out great. Like, I feel like it's less about like his perception is less about how British people are perceived and how American women are more likely to just like shag anyone that walks along. I <laughs> see. I, I think it's half. I don't think, I don't think it's that British women will shag and American women will shag anything that walks along. I love your use of the word shag, by the way. Yeah. I don't often hear yeah. anyone with American accent say the word shag and I I'm love ready. it. <laughs> I, I think there is, there is some truth in it. I think he sees some additional mm -hmm. perceived value Mm -hmm. of his Britishness in America. Mm -hmm. I, I, but I think it is about this upfrontness, mm -hmm. you know, like, you know, as evidenced in our storyline in Jack and Judy, like they're so obviously in love and yet they can't tell each other. There's, there's right. such a stiff upper lip. There's so much reserve that you have no idea where you stand. And I think what they really like, what Colin really likes about the proposition of going to Wisconsin is that the women there will say mm -hmm. exactly what they think. Like they will, just, mm -hmm. they will, um, and they will, they will open up and they will, you know, like, and, and actually, he, I think he backs himself enough to be like, if people will actually talk to me, they'll find they like me, and these people are less stuffy. And to be honest, I think, I mean, Jesse was laughing when we were just re-watching um, a bit just before this. And like, you know, and Denise Richards appears yeah. at the end, and it's like, so hilarious that they walk in a cowboy boots and a Stetson, and like, <laughs> January with no luggage. And you're like, okay, this is, this is, this is a this is a generalization which is I think unhelpful. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I don't I don't think that the the aim as far as I see it the aim of the film is not to make out that kind of American women are like loose mm. or like less moral or are 
um, somehow have like lower standards, but actually just that they're, they're, they're more up for like having fun. Like, you know, and like, and obviously that in this, in <laughs> this, in this, in this storyline, of course, it's within the context of like them having a four, like a fivesome in a house. But that I don't, but you know, but the way it starts is like it just them having like a, a really fun conversation at a bar, mm-hmm. you know, like in ski clothing, like, nothing performative about it. It's not like, it's not like, oh, I had to get super dolled up to go out to meet someone to talk to them. It's like, no, I'm wearing a ski jacket around a bar in the middle of nowhere in Wisconsin. Like, I Jesse, think you've had a very polite look on your that. face during all this conversation, so I want to throw it over to you. And but I also want to know, in addition to your counterpoint, whatever that may be, what your experience has been <laughs> being an American woman in England for the last however many years. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm like, I think that that's a nice reading you have, Johnny. That's really optimistic. <laughs> of the American <laughs> I just mean because you're like, oh, you know, I don't think the point of the film is just, you know, you know, this perception of American women, but we don't have that much evidence in the film. Mm-hmm. This is our only like specimens that we have to really No Lily. Okay, but I don't think she she doesn't rep she's not the mm-hmm. representative in the film. But this interesting with Brit, I think she is She's as American as the girls from Wisconsin. Like I'm gonna really wow. No, because we're going on accents here. Like if you're mm-hmm. if you're me seventeen years no, ago, but I'm watching this for the first time. Mm-hmm. No, I will capture that with a story to answer the second part of your question about being American in in England. Like I remember, like I have lots of things you know to kind of say about that. Number one, I mean, our you know, I think I, if you live in like kind of bigger cities like I live, we live in London like it's a very multicultural place like to be American is not that special mm-hmm. um you know so I think there's an element of like uh, you know yes it's not while I think like when you go to America you might go to I don't know all like let's say places that might not have as much mm-hmm. kind of international visitors yeah. maybe like if your impact or like the reaction is even stronger right than it would mm-hmm. be if you're in New York where you know there's a lot of uh travel between London and New York for example mm-hmm. um you know but so so being in London for the most of the time that I've been here like you know we've got a lot of people from all over the world here so in some ways that's maybe like kind of downplayed you know and, and you're very close to American culture in a lot of ways there's a lot of kind of cultural exchange right between mm-hmm. the, the countries um but there's still a lot of like perceptions Right, like I for like I've said, I grew up in the Midwest, but I absolutely despise country music. And Johnny knows this. Like, I really can't stand. I'm really sorry to anyone who you know loves it. That's not a judgment on them. It's just like a personal preference mm-hmm. of mine. Is that I really? I think. I mean, it does kind of come from my like the place I grew up. There's a lot of country music that's great, but I just decided that was not something I really wanted a part of my life. So anyway. I had had multiple times where someone would be like, I'll be listening to head, like have my headphones in, be listening to music at work or whatever. And someone will like assume I'm listening to country music because I'm American. (laughs) And I just like, that has happened to me on more than one occasion. And I find that comical because I'm like, that's like the last thing I would personally be listening to. So I do think there's like, as there are with every culture, every, you know, accent, whatever you might, you know, find you, you know, there's some like kind of, yeah, there's assumptions that come with that. So Mm -hmm. I definitely experienced that. And I definitely experienced, yeah, like particularly when you're like, oh, 
that I'm from kind of the middle of the US or not the, you know, not New York or not California or whatever it might be that, you know, people here might be a bit more familiar with, like potentially, they're often like kind of perception of that is like, is a little bit like you see these women from Wisconsin, like they're like wearing a cowboy hat and like, mm-hmm. you know, are kind of like rednecks in some ways. And that's, that's like, that, that perception kind of does follow sometimes, even though that is not like for me personally, that's not really my sort of identity. Um, so yeah, I do experience that. So I don't know, I don't really love, I, I kind of bristle at the way the, the American women are like, particularly the when they come back, to like kind of at the end when they yeah when they come off the flight and they're like really just these like caricatures of like kind Mm of you know good old american women from you know wisconsin which (laughs) i I just there's there's more to them i think basically the whole film is caricatures to me like this whole film is 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 is, is basically well Uh, that's the sort of the problem with uh, the movie in general we found is a lot of the some things in it are so broad and reminiscent of Richard Curtis's earlier career where things were a little more black at or a little more four weddings, which is a little, lot of broad comedy. But then there's also moments of extreme honest reaching for honest emotional experiences like in the Emma Thompson section or even in Liam Neeson section. Yeah. A lot of where, this movie almost wants to have it both ways where it has these broad American women who are, who are caricatures and that's great, but they're also given, especially at the end, equal weight with these other very serious realistic storylines. And I think that in our research, when we've been watching this movie a lot and both Beth and I have been reading about it a lot, this had a kind of mystical element to it, a more fantastical Christmas magic sort of thing when it was conceived than it ultimately ended up with when it was released. And I think that without that fantastical element, you have this big juxtaposition between some storylines which are very, very realistic and some which are much more campy, farcical, broad comedy sections. Because I think both Johnny and Jesse, your interpretations are accurate based on the text, based on the movie. We have a specific British question, though, we want to ask you, Johnny and Jesse, uh, which was news to Beth when she started watching. So I'll toss it over to Beth. I So this whole concept of the Christmas number one was new to me in this movie. Um, and one of probably the, my favorite things that I discovered about the Christmas number one is like the shift from it kind of seeming like a legitimate contest to like Bob the Builder winning it one year and then Simon Cowell taking it over for um, his reality show, like newly formed band. Christmas number one is enormous. It's like such an institution. I okay, so I was a pop music obsessive growing up. Like I, I realized it kind of gave me some cachet at like primary school or elementary school. We call it primary school in the UK to uh, know what was going on in the pop charts all the time. So I got like Top of the Pops magazine and Smash Hits magazine, and I listened oh, to the. Wow. We have the top 40 is what we call it. It's not, the, it's not like the Billboard 100. We mm-hmm. have the top 40. And it was at 4 p.m. Yeah. every Sunday. It was um, played. Every song was played in full from number 40 through to number one. And it was, you know, you'd, 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 it would, they would tell you who, who would, you know, how the track had moved, how many weeks it had been in the chart. Mm-hmm. This was on BBC Radio 1. And I used to write this down <laughs> every week. So I had this, like, chronicle wow. of, like, 
where, where it had been the previous week, how many weeks it would be on the charts, then you could follow things wow. the whole year. So I was particularly well I about, love the idea that like this was probably published information, but instead of just acquiring that publication, you wrote your own version yeah. every so week. The way, so I was like, this is like 1995. I was, oh no, 1996, I was nine. And um, we had teletext. I'm sure you had teletext in the States as well, where you like, press buttons and it would take like 10, 10 minutes to cycle through all the screens. It would take forever. And you press like the green or the red button on your, on your remote control. Um, but I mean, the, the Christmas number one is the, 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 like the pièce de résistance, the crème de la crème of number ones throughout the year, because of course there's so much, there's like a big Christmas episode of Top of the Pops. Top of the Pops is a TV show that used to be on at 7.30 every Friday night. Um, uh, and um, the number one would always be, or usually be performed by the band on that show. Um, and Ooh. of the week, unless it'd be, like, if it was like Believe by Cher and it was number one for like seven weeks, she didn't become every week, she'd do it once and then they played a video from their appearances, whatever. But it was a huge institution. And like, I, I think the Spice Girls were Christmas number one three years in a row, which was unheard of mm-hmm. um, with their first three Christmas singles. And, and I think it's every year that like, you know, it, it becomes a, 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 a race and also is often a moment where like specific causes or specific things can be championed. So like, our, our health service, the NHS, has released a single with the Doctors, which was number one in the last couple of years. There was famously, you know, Simon Cowell, is, as you know, and obviously as a judge on um, the X Factor or American Idol in the States, um, he tried to get it so that someone from that TV show would be Christmas number one every year. And so you'd have all these farcical um, songs that people would try to get to number one. So it was a song by Rage Against right. the Machine, like a not the song yeah, like in the name of, yeah. that was number one like six years ago because they wanted to try and overthrow the system but christmas number one is a huge deal and the last last two years has been interesting as well with lad baby taking it two years in a row yeah lad baby sausage rolls i love sausage rolls yeah. Madness. <laughs> yeah. we had a, a pub quiz yeah, yeah. recently i think it's but it, it's funny because i I presume this would be the same everywhere. Like I had no idea, Beth. I had the same thing. When I watched this okay. film, I was like, what are we talking about with this Christmas number one, like coveted sort of award or, you know, whatever. And I, yeah, I didn't, I totally did not register to me. And I had to have the exact same conversation to have the full cultural understanding. Yeah. Well, not even I, who Beth introduced me as an Anglophile, and I would say, and I was, I would say, I'm a high level Anglophile. I didn't know it existed until I saw this movie in 2003, and I saw it in the theater. I had no idea that this was a cultural phenomenon. Okay. I have, of course, absorbed it since then. I do have to have to pause real fast because I googled it. Teletext was not a thing in the United States, so I, none I, of us. Are you talking so about? He and I were making these faces at each other, and we were kind of like nodding. Like, yes. Yeah. They both seem to recognize it. I thought for a second, Johnny, you were talking about what's the thing called, Beth, where the early days of texting with T9EN? We could like. Oh, yeah, yeah. Right. So you see these four buttons are red, green, yellow, and blue. Yeah. Those were the options you had to change screen on teletext. So you'd have like, they were your shortcuts. So if you, you would have a page numbers from 1 to 999, which would be like everything from your like cricket scores through to the top 40. And they would then give you shortcuts that you could go to different pages by using the red, green, yellow, or blue. Wow. That's why we have these colored buttons on our screen, on our remote. I like definitely have those colored buttons on my remote, but they are, I did not know that they do 
did do that? I don't, maybe they don't. They don't, I don't, they know. don't in the US because a quick Google reveals that there were. And why do I have those buttons? Because they make their TVs for all around the world, I guess, which doesn't make a lot of sense because of NTSC and PAL systems and different voltages, but we won't get into that. But apparently in the US, there were too many different television and telecarriers and it just never worked. They couldn't work. We, only, we had only four. Right. Right. So we had. So it could yeah. work across all platforms. Yeah. yeah. But no, that's all three Americans on this call simultaneously kind of were like <laughs> politely smiling. Like, is that a thing? Yeah. That's so I was funny. When you said that, I was thinking like calling in, because like you used to call in to vote for like American Idol and you would have mm-hmm. to like, it'd be like press one for Kelly Clarkson and press two for like Justin Guarini. And like, I was thinking something like that. And then the more you were talking, I was like, I don't know what's happening, but I don't think it's worth it to try. I mean, I've never watched a YouTube video of text, but it might be worth you doing it just to see what I'm talking about. It's super old script. It's like, I think it, I it, definitely really, will. it looks really like Amstrad computer from the 1970s. I'll find something and put it in the show notes. Okay. I'm imagining something right, like then. the shipping forecast, but like visual. Is that Johnny? Oh, yeah, yeah. But, but the shipping forecast was also on teletext. Like you could, you could. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. The math also that you use here, I really like using the word tele. Like they do really yes. use that word. It's so good. You know, I work in advertising and we're always like, oh, tele, you know, this is all about tele. Yeah. It's all about tele. Yeah. What were some Christmas number ones, Johnny, that you remember? Was there everyone you were rooting for that didn't make it or anything like that? No, I don't think I, no. I, I, I did, I, I find it funny. I, when people are like deliberately anti-establishment, like there's, there's, there's a difference between being anti-establishment and anti-like capitalist. And I feel like, be, like the X factor trying to just commandeer Christmas number one every year, I think is a bit mm-hmm. unfair because it is, so like, I don't mind being i don't mind that i think when when there are like lovely legitimate christmas songs it feels a shame to like deliberately try and win with like i love sausage rolls or <laughs> rage against the machine just because i think it's like there is there is gen i mean maybe maybe that's fun but i just think it's like when 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 we have like really lovely christmas number ones mm-hmm you know, like, I, I don't know, for me, like, early Spice Girls ones, but, you know, To Become One is sort of lovely and festive and feely, even though the message isn't a festive one. Like, I think... It's a warm, but, loving... But it's funny to me that you called To Become One festive, because one of the confusing parts for me is that these aren't Christmas songs. They're just songs that are popular and released around Christmas. Like, Two Becomes One is a lovely song. No, but they, they obviously do that on top of the pops with, like, loads of Christmas trees on stage, and you can see how it would work with, like, fake snow... And like, you know, they're all very, and like, I think the writing songs specifically about Christmas is less fashionable than it used to be. But like, if you think about so mm-hmm. many of the massive songs that are incredibly famous, whether that's like, um, you know, the Pogues is a Christmas time in New York or various, like these huge, I wish it could be Christmas every day by Slay, you know, um, wonderful Christmas time by the beach was like, they were all Christmas number ones. Like, you know what I mean? It's sort of like, and and that has um, I don't know it's such resonance I think with the British psyche. Honestly, the more you know. I mean, it's funny because I always like obviously in America we love Christmas, right? Like sure. it's a big thing. But oh, I yeah. think I would argue Christmas here. We start celebrating it like, on uh, October thirty first, so you know. Yeah, but yeah, but so did before. <laughs> yeah, yeah. In America, you know, we do, but here, here because there isn't Thanksgiving. 
you know, mm. yes, they they also start around that time, but it's kind of full on Christmas, like without, you know, shame or guilt for waiting for after Thanksgiving. And so I think actually Christmas is such a big holiday here, you know, already. Uh, and so I think things like the Christmas number one, when I learned about that, or yeah. even like they have um, another, uh, do you guys know like the John Lewis Christmas commercial? I mean, obviously this is, um, it, they look for, they have this, this Christmas commercial that this like department store called John Lewis. Oh, okay. Um, yeah. releases gotcha. and everyone my yeah, brain went to representative john lewis at first which is a very oh. <laughs> no 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 it's like different a, thing totally different thing different thing but they're like you know it's kind of like they're macy's i guess mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. and anyway they have this you know they release the john lewis christmas commercial like there's a thing you know it's like a big it's moving yeah, there's a moment, and I just think it's more of yeah. There's this kind of warmth and uh, more of yeah. There's more. Um, I don't know. It, it has a, even more cultural weight. Is like that holiday is very very important. Yeah, I think I've learned a lot about it that makes me think like, wow, this is delightful. There's an interesting number of like British Christmas traditions tied up in media. I just think that's very interesting. Like the there's the John Lewis Christmas ad. There's a Christmas number one song, Christmas Day. There's usually a lot of TV specials on. Like it's a big media is a big part of of your Christmas. Yeah, there's always like there always be a new Wallace and Gromit. There's usually some kind of new Agatha Christie or something. There's like these. Yeah, enormously so. I used to love Christmas Christmas morning children's TV. It was the best morning for it in the year. That's so funny. I was not allowed to watch television on Christmas. It's a totally different experience. Really interesting. Too many no, family no. things to do. Oh, no, so much of it. it it's it, most of the time um, people, I don't know. Do you have Christmas lunch or Christmas dinner, would you say? Do you have to have, is your big dinner. Christmas, yeah, big Christmas dinner. So it's, in the UK, people would normally have Christmas lunch and that's the big meal. And then you're done by three to watch the Queen's speech. And then you get the like the sequence of all the afternoon like TV program institutions that you must watch before you then play like board games and drink port. I think it's time to rank this, Beth. Do you want to explain our metric? We do two scoring metrics. It's a nine-point scale. One being how British is this movie, um, or this this segment specifically, so John and Judy, um, and then how Christmassy is this. So we'll start with Christmas. Oh, Oh God. Like four. Yeah, I mean, I was going to go three. But yeah, I think yeah, that I think I'm at a two. I'm at a not Christmas. I really yeah. felt like horned the Christmas into this storyline. Mm. You know, the, the the bit where she's like, "All I want for Christmas is you," is like I mean, a funny gesture. <laughs> I like it, but that's like the one way they and like the fact that they appear at Christmas thing. But like that's it. Really. Well, and it's it's an interesting thing. We didn't bring it up, but it's an interesting part of the movie that this is the segment that got the continuity is all over the place because as you guys say, oh, this doesn't terrible. affect any of the other plots of the movie. So like, I feel like in the original cut of this movie was four hours long when he was, when Richard Curtis was editing it down, he could just slide these pieces in anywhere because it doesn't affect any other part of the movie. And that scene on the stoop where she says that line, it's, it's supposed to happen after the Christmas pageant, which you can tell if you watch closely, they're wearing the same clothes at the Christmas pageant. And then on that uh-huh. stoop scene. Yeah. So that's why she says that, because they just saw the song. Whereas in the movie, it comes on this amazing coincidence that she says it, and then later it's the song in the movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's very oh, funny. I I yeah, that, that uh-huh. So we come out, 
I'm going to give it a two as well. We come out with like a 2.8 on the, on the Christmas scale. That's kind of in the not Christmas vein. The second score, and now I'm very nervous. For the very first time ever, I'm showing my how British is this metric to somebody who's actually British. Oh, wonderful. Um, so I want to know specifically, like, are these things like ranked appropriately? No, they're all very British. Yeah. I mean, yeah, what's well, not British on this list, Johnny? You know, like, no, I mean, Austin Powers hanging out with Beyonce is the... The least of them. Um, I mean, Mr. Bean listening to Radio 4 is, like, incredibly high. Yeah. Um, I mean, um, Her Majesty's Court, I mean, all of it. I think down to, down to number three, and, like, tea with your mum and, uh, and our kid, I can't really do that, but it's that a northern one. <laughs> Your mom. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I okay. So for me, I think the scene is incredibly British. Like I think that um, in a way that like the the Hugh Grant Martin McCutcheon storyline actually could happen in lots of other films. Just it happened mm. with British actors, right? With this one, like the degree of awkwardness and the fact that you've got two incredibly ordinary people doing such a ludicrous job, mm -hmm. like, and like talking about the weather through it, I think is like a wonderful realization of kind of a trait we love as Brits. I'm going to go with like seven. Wow. Seven from Johnny. I mean, I have to generally agree with what he said, really. The kind of what's, like I've said many times, the subtlety, what's not said, the awkwardness uh, of the relationship, of their in, in like interactions is incredible. Uh, and I think very British. And like the whole kissing scene is like just pinnacle, really good uh, in terms of like Britishness. Uh, so mm -hmm. I think... Oh, it's hard because it's really, I think it's very like kind of everyday, like this is a really good depiction of kind of the, like things that would really happen. I feel like actually, while some of these things on the scale might be, you know, things that we really consider being iconic Britishness. So I guess it doesn't do that. Like, obviously it's not Harry Potter, hmm. um, that kind of thing. So sure. that's. You know, that's the only thing I, you know, I wouldn't say it does it scream iconic British. No, but if you know, you know. Right. Um, so therefore, I might give it, I'm always going to go lower than you. Just <laughs> <generally>. <laughs> she, she's just the kind of girl who's like, no essay could ever get four marks. I'm like, no. it just isn't. Just, no, it's like nine wouldn't be perfection. Nine is just sort of. <laughs> I don't care. <laughs> Therefore, I'm going. I'm going six. Andrew Lloyd Webber. I also love Andrew Lloyd Webber, and I also think mm -hmm. it's hilarious doing laundry in the kitchen. Yeah, and we have, we have our washer dryer in the kitchen. And does it dry everything effectively? No, it absolutely does All not. All right, there we go. <laughs> <laughs> but I also think I also think that the laundry is also quite. I mean, we do say laundry, but like. Doing your washing. The washing. Doing oh, the washing. washing. Oh, washing. That's a good note. And then you, mm. oh, okay. you know, their dishes. The dishes would be the washing up. Mm. So. Oh, yeah. okay. I have to change that. That's, that's great. Good, that's washing good. versus washing up. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Yeah, but I like that. Yeah, great washing. distinction. Yeah, but anyway, I'm gonna go. This is good feedback for the scale. This is fantastic feedback. I love this. Beth, where are you going? 
You know, I had originally, my notes say Christmas very low, British also very low. But now that we've talked about it, I feel like I have to reconsider because you're right. It's not like British in the sense of like there's a lot of um, like things you can only find in England or like pop culture references that are very specific to England. It's like the behavior and the traits that are typically associated with British people. And I feel like. I have to, I think I'm going to go with the six too. I think I'm going Andrew Lloyd Webber. Um, yeah. It I'm feels gonna go, way more British than I did. I'm going to go with a, and I'm going to go with a seven, just like Johnny did. Yeah. That takes us out at a 6.5, which is 6. pretty good. <clears throat> what you really made me rethink in this conversation about how British this segment is, is also a lot of little, there's so many little moments in it. Like after she kisses him, First of all, that he won't kiss her. That's perfect. But then mm-hmm. she kisses him and she goes inside. I like that he says thank you to the compliment. And then he, the way he jumps off the stoop I and mean, then quickly looks around to see if anyone saw him do that is such a great, yeah. Yeah. lovely, slightly embarrassed, but like, okay, good. I got away with it kind of thing. Yeah, I love it. But that's, I think, yeah, that's, that's like the wonderful Hugh Grant moment when he's doing the dance in Downing Street. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? And it's like, mm-hmm. no one... No, like no one sees him, and so he's able to be a fool. I feel like that that kind of moment is a that's a very very like British snapshot. What's really interesting to me is like, you know, maybe with the exception, I mean, Laura Linney, I obviously knew, um, like visually, I like she's she wouldn't she would be like a cult TV figure, but like almost everyone else in this TV show is exceptionally famous in British TV, like the mm, British film okay. is exceptionally famous in British TV. So like. Woman who plays Natalie Martine McCutcheon was mm-hmm. like the most famous woman in a British TV show called EastEnders. It's a soap that's been running for a good like forty years. I don't know how many years, but a long time. And she was called Tiffany Mitchell, and she was she was the, like the character. And then like Mr Bean, of course, is like extraordinarily mm-hmm. seminal. But like our uh, Judy, just Judy, as you said, Stacey Gavin and Stacey is extraordinarily British, mm-hmm. and she is Stacey. So there are all of these people and. Colin was in um, my family, and he was the son of um, what's the name of the, the actor? Uh, I can't remember. Um, it was like Zoe Wanamaker and um, someone else of the parents, and then he's um, uh, the older son. And like, so people have grown up with these people their whole lives. This is just a, a catalogue of like the most recognised British actors that you can think of, like Emma Thompson, Alan Rickman, mm-hmm. without saying, but like. I think watching it as someone who's not British, it may not have that, like mm. Christmas is all about warmth and coming together. And this is an incredible sense of like, we've all come together to make this yeah. one film. And if you don't have that kind of cultural hinterland of watching British TV, it may not have the same resonance. I just wondered if, if that was something you registered when you were watching it. Hmm. I think when I started, when I saw this for the first time, I was in high school. So it had come out a couple of years earlier. And at that point I knew a lot of these characters from other things like Alan Rickman and Emma Thompson from Harry Potter. I knew Hugh Grant for being Hugh Grant. Um, like, but like, I could not have told you who Joanna Page was and, or that she was Joanna Page until I saw her name in Patrick's notes this morning. And I was like, ah, yes, Joanna Page. Um, but mm-hmm. I, in terms of like coming together to make this film, 
for me, this is the beginning of all of those type of ensemble films that you see. You have like Valentine's Day, you have New Year's Eve, like that all are terrible films and useless. But it's like the beginning of these kind of like vignettes where you're able to get a really large smattering of different types of story that's surrounded around one theme. And um, so I didn't have this feeling of like, oh, we've all come together. This is a very big thing for our culture. Instead, like, it kind of felt sometimes like, oh, here's a grab bag. And we're just going to like dig out what version of love we want to talk about. And then we're going to dig out this one, this one, this one. And we're going to put some big names associated with it. So I'm, I wonder if it would have been a different experience having had like this familiarity with all these people beyond like they were in Harry Potter. I will say that as somebody who is like when I saw this in the theater and again, being above average Anglophile, I knew probably more people in this than a lot of people, but there were still a ton of actors I didn't know who they were. Like I know who Aaron Atkinson was, obviously, and being a big Richard Curtis fan and and a huge Blackadder fan, uh, I knew Rowan Atkinson and I knew an Alan Rickman, Emma Thompson, you know Martin Freeman, you know who had been on The Office at that point, and 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 Joanna Page, obviously, but I didn't know who Bill Nye was when this this movie came out. He was not used in the states until after this movie. I didn't know who Anton Deck were, certainly. Like, you don't get a lot of those jokes. I didn't realize they were real, either. But, like, Anton uh, Deck are, like, actual they, TV personalities. Anton, Anton Deck and Blue, they're all real. Anton Deck is probably the most famous TV-presenting pair in England, full stop. Yeah. Like, Something I learned during this recording. <laughs> <laughs> but what's funny is that you learn there are also jokes who didn't know, like, that he calls him Ant or Deck. He doesn't know which is which. Yeah. Like, that's a joke in England, and in America, it's just something he said because yeah. he's kind of a weirdo. Like, it's not a big not a big bit. But so there's so many little hidden British things. When we judge how British these segments are in this movie, I feel like as Americans, we're missing a lot of the Britishness of it in a lot of those ways. <laughs> it's our American version of what yeah, I mean, our perception of what being British is, which is interesting. Exactly. I think, yeah, I think that's, uh, yeah, maybe that's you treat your scale to represent yeah. that. Like, if you want right. me to find the translator at any point, yeah. I'm very happy. That'd be great. That would be, you know, you say that, but I'm going to start texting you random hours. I'm like, Johnny, what does this mean? <laughs> And you're going to be like, it's very early here. Please stop texting me. <laughs> I may not always love you, but long as there are stars above you, you never need to doubt it. I'll make you so sure about it. God only knows what I'd be without you. What is Love Actually was produced and edited by Patrick Flynn. We are on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Love Actually Pod. You can follow Patrick Flynn at Unknown Penguin. You can follow Beth Amon at Beth Amon13. Please go to Apple Podcasts and leave us a rating and review. If you'd like to support this podcast, you can find a link to our PayPal in the show notes. I'm Beth Amon. And I'm Patrick Flynn. And remember, there was more than one lobster at the birth of Jesus. God only knows what I'd be. Mean.